Hi, everyone. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Providencia, um, and it's a pleasure to be with you this evening. We're in the middle of our year-long sermon series that we have called Embody, and for, the, uh, for these four weeks, we've been talking about God's grace, one of the core values of our church. Uh, we talk about our city and your story and God's grace, and these four weeks we've been talking about God's grace, and we've been studying and looking at the, the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And we've talked about grace being a life of dependence, And Keith talked about using the advantage of grace, the advantage that grace is in our lives for the sake of others, just as Jesus did. Tonight, I want to talk about the grace of another home. The grace of another home. It was 4 a.m. the morning after election day. I had fallen asleep with my laptop on my stomach watching CNN Live and It had slid between me and Brittany. She sleeps on this side, I sleep on this side. So it fell between me and Brittany. She had woken up and been watching the ongoing coverage for a couple of minutes before shaking me awake. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? Is this right? Was this what was happening when you fell asleep? I reached for my glasses sort of frantically and tried to see what was going on. I'd fallen asleep at about 2.30 and the race was close. Now it looked like they were ready to call it. But even the newscasters were hesitant, like they weren't ready to hear the news that was about to come out of their own mouths. It was November 9th, 2016. I remember very much the feeling of change, that the world was different in some profound way. I had the Avett brothers in my head saying, your life doesn't change by the man that's elected. But then I rationalized it because they wrote that in 2009. So it was obviously meant for those who lamented Obama's election. It couldn't possibly apply to me. Fast forward four years, and it's pre-sunrise on election day 2020. I couldn't sleep. I wanted to check in on the final projections before the polls opened. But as I was lying in bed, I tried to say a prayer. And the only word that came to mind was trust. Sometimes in story groups, sometimes in our large group settings, we do these meditative things, and Sarah Claire or Jordan or Keith will ask us to just think of a word that comes to mind. And this was my word on election morning was trust. And so I tried to trust. For me, that meant getting up and going for a run without my phone and without my headphones. I wanted so badly to listen to the last podcast that had dropped from the election analysis, or the analysts, and, but I knew that listening to those things would only make me more anxious. So I ran through the neighborhood in silence. Silence except for neighborhood noises. The noises of pets waking up, the rustling of palm fronds, Footsteps of people walking to the bus stop. The lapping of the intercoastal against the seawall. I made it to George Petty Park just as the sun was beginning to rise over Palm Beach. And from my vantage point there at George Petty Park, the sunrise was just over Mar-a-Lago. 
I wanted to spin an eloquent metaphor in my mind about a new day dawning on the horizon. But then that word came to mind again, trust. And Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. So I ran home and started trying to trust in God. Started trying to deny any political party's pull on my emotions over the next few days. Trying to ignore the tug of cynicism in my mind. Trying to write a sermon when a sermon in and of itself felt irrelevant. And then I read the passage for today. Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 to 21. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is not meant to give us a feeling of escape. Quite the opposite, actually, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But it was a relief to me in a certain sense. This political system, this nation, this brokenness and chaos is not our home. We have the grace of another home. And with that get grace comes the grace of another set of priorities and the grace of another purpose. A few weeks ago, Keith preached on the passage just before this one in Philippians 3. He talked about being held in our stories based on Paul's idea of striving to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus takes hold of us. And that kind of striving, that kind of pressing on, is part of the grace of another purpose. But before Paul can get to the purpose, he has to talk about the things that he needs to give up, to let go of. He says they're all losses, garbage. He uses a four-letter word in Greek. But this is a bit strange because these aren't generally the kind of things we like to consider losses. Paul says he considers loss the privilege of a good upbringing. Verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day, Paul says. See, you don't circumcise yourself, at least not if you're doing it properly. Your parents take you for that to happen. Circumcised on the eighth day is a way of saying, I grew up in the faith. My parents were faithful. See how they brought me up from the very beginning. And Paul also then considers loss the privilege of 
ethnicity. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews from the coveted tribe of Benjamin. Again, not something he chose for himself. He considers lost the privilege of education. He's a Pharisee, remember, which was a level of religious education that not many attained. It was only reserved for the brightest young men. Most ended their formal education by their early teenage years, girls even earlier than that. But the cream of the crop were selected to do further training to become Pharisees, teachers of the law. Paul considers it loss. He also considers loss the privilege of his job. He says, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. Which is to say, in the Jewish world of the first century, I had a good job. I did it well, to its fullest extent, and I enjoyed it. And finally, Paul considers loss the privilege of his high moral standing. Calling himself faultless in the eyes of the law, this too is a loss for Paul. These are all privileges because some of them have nothing to do with Paul's own actions or efforts. And the ones that are a result of some of his efforts are dependent on the ones that aren't of his own doing. When was the last time you thought about your own upbringing, ethnicity, education, job, or moral standing as losses? Maybe you could pick out one or two from this list and chalk them up as losses, but all five? This is a huge challenge for me personally. I was raised in the church, dedicated by the pastors, a one-month-old baby, of the family Melton, which in the small town I grew up in did mean something. My grandfather had donated all the land that the church building sat on. My dad was a deacon was a children's minister. My family meant something. My ethnicity, my being seen as white and imagining myself as white has advantages far beyond what I'm willing to admit. As for education, I've got degrees on top of degrees. As for a job, I've dedicated my career to the church in a world that seems like it's falling apart at the seams. When every news story seems like it's a human rights abuse or sexual abuse or murder or genocide, it's very easy to take pride in my lack of dramatic moral failing. But let's consider what it takes to count these things as loss. First of all, it takes honesty. The first step Paul takes here is to identify those things in himself that are not centered on Jesus. We have to be willing to look within ourselves and willing to identify those things that we still consider gain, those things that we are still holding on to that are not about Christ. Be willing to consider how your privileges might result directly or indirectly in the suffering of someone else. Maybe even perhaps hindering someone else from hearing the gospel. 
or hindering yourself from doing what God wants you to do. Then it takes courage. It takes courage to let go of these privileges, to let go of the things that we realize enslave us, and to let go of all the gains, social, economic, religious, that come with them. We cannot serve two masters. We must let go of what is behind in order to serve Christ. Finally, in order to carry on counting these things as losses, we need a greater purpose. A greater goal than our own superiority. A greater goal than our own security. A greater goal than our own advancement in wealth, career, education, society. Frankly, we need a greater goal than ourselves. We need the grace of another purpose. Because as Paul says here in Philippians 3.12, he has not already attained all of this. He's still striving. He's still pressing on toward that other purpose. Having let go of that old set of priorities. And what is Paul's new purpose? What is that other purpose It's to know Jesus, Paul says, to know the power of his resurrection and to know participation in his suffering. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It's the way of the cross. To turn from that old set of priorities. To stop comparing ourselves and asserting advantage and superiority in categories like ethnicity, education, jobs, and moral standing. In order to do this, it takes turning toward something. It takes turning toward the cross. The way of the cross is one of humiliation. Of serving others. Of obedience even unto death. Philippians 2 tells us. The way of the cross is the way of losing by our cultural standards. We get so obsessed with winning as if victory over some perceived enemy will solve all of our problems. Victory has been declared this week on both sides of the aisle and by many different people. But our version of winning, our American version of winning, always means that someone else loses. In the kingdom of God, somehow, paradoxically, there are not winners and losers. There is only a congregation of worshipers from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, gathered around the throne of the one who gave up his life. This is why Paul can say, I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. We don't want to follow the way of the cross. We want to win. We don't want to listen to others' voices. We want to be right. We don't want to serve. We want to be in power. Because winning and being right and having the power is how you get things done in this world, especially in America. 
And so we rationalize ourselves as pragmatic and then chase after power. In order to promote racial justice, we have to win elections. In order to advocate for the lives of the vulnerable, we have to win elections. And the thing is, in America, this is how things work. But this is precisely why we need the grace of another home. It has been a long week. It's been a roller coaster of emotions for me, as I'm sure it has been for you. Each person here and across the nation tonight, each person is breathing a little bit differently today than they were a few days ago. There were a lot of good things said by President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris last night. Our society needs healing for sure. An end to the demonization of the other sounds pretty good. I am thrilled that we have finally elected a woman to the second highest office in the country. The first black woman to hold the office, the first woman of Asian descent, it's about time. And I hope it isn't long before we elect a woman to the highest office in the country. But there was something that gave me pause in Joe Biden's speech last night. He said that the result of this election means America has once again bent the moral arc of the universe toward justice. It's a good line. Here's the trouble. Every time America messes with the moral arc of the universe, it just as often bends it toward the decimation of other peoples and the oppression of other peoples as it does bending it toward justice. I can't place my trust in America to bring about justice as a result of this election or any other piece of evidence in the last 250 years. We need another place to invest our trust. If we put our hope of racial justice in a federal reparations bill, we've invested our trust in the Democratic Party. If we put our hope in protecting vulnerable lives in the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we've invested our trust in the Republican Party. And they will fail us. We need another place to put our trust. By God's grace, we've been given one. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. But for now, we live here. So we eagerly wait. And we work for the reversal of those old priorities. The recognition and affirmation that our home and our citizenship are in God's kingdom is not and cannot be a mindset of escapism. To be a people who finds their home in God's kingdom is to be a people who proclaims that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. That Jesus is Lord and Trump is not. That Jesus is Lord and Biden is not. 
And any other world leader is not, but Jesus is Lord. To be a people who finds their home in God's kingdom is to be a people who work against the comparison and hierarchy of upbringing, ethnicity, education, jobs, or moral standing. It is to be a people who represent and advocate for and include and welcome others from every socioeconomic class, every nation and ethnicity, every sector of work and education, every kind of good and bad and in between. Because to be a people who finds their home in God's kingdom is to be a people drawn together around the cross of Jesus. Jesus who reaches across class lines who reaches across party lines, who reaches across ethnic lines, rope lines, picket lines, and any other line you can think of. And Jesus does it with his body. So to be his people is to mimic his body. To embody the grace of another home is to build toward that home. Here, in this time, with these people and for these people. Let us pray.